0: Coming up this week on Breaking Badness, today we discuss a key stroke of genius, gaming the system with the Bellinard Trojan, and what the Pac-Man, a recent arbitrary code execution vulnerability. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number six, recorded on March 18th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, girls just want to have pun. LaBelle. With me, I have some extra special co-hosts today. I have Tarek Sela, a true lover of shoes and philosophy, known as Socrates, um, around the office. <laughs> and last but not least, Taylor Wilkes-Pierce, whose C-name around domain tools is Dr. Hyphen, tay Tyler... Tyrone. Am I missing anything?
1: No, no, I have Did not I cover gotten all any that? new aliases okay. in the last couple of weeks that I'm aware of. A lot of <laughs> security
0: by obscurity. Exactly. You know, you're encrypting your name in a sense and there's a special <laughs> code
1: if you need to get a
0: hold of Tyler. If you're asking Tyler for something, it's very different than for Tay-Tay, Absolutely. I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to have both of you on the pod today. And so we're going to talk about three different articles. And the first one we are going to jump into um, called A Key Stroke of Genius is um, basically it sounds like a Pakistani government site was compromised with the intent of delivering a scan box framework payload. Doesn't sound great. So um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to kick this off with Taylor. Sure. Um, Again, it sounds like this was leveraged already. There's some great research that Trustwave did. Yeah. And so I know you've dug into that. So maybe give us a synopsis of what all that looks like and... What kind of trouble you've been up to in that research.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was looking over this. So it looks like uh, our adversaries here managed to uh, break into the the dgip.gov.pk website uh, and and specifically tracking.dgip.gov.pk and then uh, alter the code on there and insert a uh, scan box framework that tracks keystrokes from users who are on the site, and then delivers them to uh, another server that they have control over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the Trustway folks picked this up. Uh, let's see, do they have a date on that? Look like uh, you know within the last couple of weeks. And they actually, were able to look at the data going to the Scanbox, the mm-hmm. the server that was kind of hoovering up the data from the from the keystrokes, and kind of ascertain what the exposure risk might be. Um, but it looks like they were able to grab credentials for, on one day, at least 70 unique uh, site visitors. Uh, and a third of them had recorded credentials that were entered in, so they're grabbing uh, information on the folks who are typing into the, the forms uh, on the, the, pa- the Pakistani uh, passport page there. Um, and looks like the vast majority of the folks were, that they hit were from Pakistan. Uh, but then also Saudi Arabia, the United States, China, Qatar, Germany, the UK, South Korea, Netherlands, India. Uh, looks like they picked up some folks from across the globe <laughs> in, in what they're picking up. And so um you know pretty pretty interesting to you know what we don't get into is like how did they get there in the first place which is kind of the big unanswered question around that kind of thing because uh it looks like they haven't mitigated it by the end of the article from trustwave it looked like they reached out to the folks uh with the pakistani government but it didn't look like they'd mitigated it quite yet Mm. uh but it looked like the the bad guys noticed that they were noticed and, and started pulling some stuff down but
0: that is very concerning, <laughs> but you know, different strokes for different folks. Uh, say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just uh, keystrokes. Ah, um, uh, uh, yes. Into <laughs> room for the sad trombone. <laughs> Bad puns, and so maybe this is a good opportunity, Tarek, for you to talk about what the Scanbox payload consists of, um, and what type of value, obviously, you know, provides these login credentials. But how are threat actors using this to their advantage?
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> the Scanbox. Payload, in this case, is a JavaScript exploit kit. Um, it's been around since about 2014. That's when it's really uh, become more popular and more consumed by different threat actors from your really sophisticated types to your uh, unsophisticated uh Low technical uh, types, um, skiddies, if you will, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> Why do you... I
0: imagine them in like Canadian tuxedos? You've got like your sophisticated threat actors, yeah. and then oh, it's like, the t- <laughs> like Britney and Justin ah. going to the award show together, but threat actors.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this one, um, it's all very modular, which is um, really interesting to see how scan boxes kind of evolve from like a capabilities point of view. Um, so, uh, You know, at its core, it effectively grabs your keystrokes like you mentioned earlier, but it does a little bit more than that, too. Um, It's uh, kind of evolved over time to look at uh, endpoint configurations. Like, for example, um, Windows has a thing called emet, which um, helps mitigate, detect and mitigate exploits when they happen. Um, And it actually applies to the browser as well. Um, so, uh, one of the, one of the new, new-ish components of uh, ScanBox is to detect if emails emails being used, um, and like what Taylor was saying offline before we started, um, uh, ScanBox also looks for a handful of known uh, AV um, products by looking and querying the registry and things like that to see if you do have like a certain type of antivirus installed. Um, that way you can go ahead and take different types of actions. Um, But it also does stuff like look for um, really commonly used um, applications uh, for your browser. So things like uh, Adobe Flash, um, Java, and different types of Office versions. Um, And that really sets the attacker up. Since, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about how uh, ScanBox is like a post-exploitation exploit kit, what's really common is doing version detection, and attackers typically do this as part of the, the kill chain look at what kind of versions are running on the system, and if there's any appropriate um, exploits available. I know from previous research, uh, from other researchers, that Metasploit, um, Java payloads have been detected in in association with uh, ScanBox. So you can see some really interesting correlations there. But it also, aside from doing keystrokes and um, software version uh, detections, um, it also does cookie hijacking, so Ooh. if you ever wanted to do Ooh. any kind of session hijacking, this framework kind of enables you to do that. And uh, I think one of the most scary things is the HTTP POST request interception. So anytime you fill like a form, like with your username or password, um, that will get intercepted and sent over to uh, via the scan box uh, that's on the site that you're on uh, that's been compromised in the watering hole attack. It'll actually submit that over to like an attacker-controlled uh, infrastructure. So it's a really interesting payload, um, and it brings a whole set of problems. Malicious JavaScript running in the browser is uh, something that's been around for a while, and it's, as you can see, it's not going away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know you've done some cool content on that specifically, the yeah. beauty of JavaScript. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's a kind of a bummer that these attackers didn't take an opportunity to not only use uh, this ScanBox payload, um, but also to throw up one of those great—you need to update your antivirus pop-ups mm. for people that don't mm-hmm. have the endpoint. Like wow, one-two punch yeah. opportunity right there. there you really go. play into it.
2: You'd be a good attacker.
1: <laughs> the Trustwave Concerned. folks said that they looked that this particular thing was looking for 77 endpoint products. Most security, right, looking for those, but also looking for decompression and virtualization tooling, which is, that's kind of interesting right. uh, if you're trying to filter, either filter out sophisticated folks or filter in sophisticated folks. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you the know, certainly people. not many of us are uh, running VirtualBox or, uh, you know, some type of virtualization software on our desktop.
2: <laughs> Speak
0: for <And> yourself, Taylor.
2: <laughs> One thing to mention, too, is that all of the... JavaScript um, associated with ScanBox that's, it's all open source, so you can find a lot of variants of it on GitHub, if you're curious, Mm -hmm. Um, which I encourage everybody to be curious and look at the source code. But one thing that I've noticed in the versions that I've looked at is it only seems to detect and interface with Windows-based operating systems. Mm. Huh,
0: interesting. Yeah,
2: so it's looking at registries, it's looking for DLLs and those type of, (laughs) like, artifacts that really aren't associated with, like, macOS or Linux.
0: So it's targeted in that sense, <laughs> potentially, or... Yeah.
2: It's very just, Windows-centric, yeah. yeah.
0: And is, it, uh, is this particular payload affecting all browsers? Are all browsers vulnerable to this JavaScript attack?
2: That's a good question, yes. Um, so I think, and I don't have all the versions uh, in front of me, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the older versions use like, ActiveX objects, which are associated with um, IE 10 and below. Um, Nowadays, the, ones, the later versions that I've seen just uses pure JavaScript, which would affect all browsers. Now, if the, each browser um, can have certain detection uh, components and defense mechanisms built into it. Um, like, for example, um, there's XSS filters and things like that with Chrome, but those really wouldn't help protect you in this situation.
0: So it's good that I still run Netscape Navigator. That <laughs> might be the one thing that saves me.
2: You're in the clear. <laughs> you still have the box. Just don't run Flash. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, considering how interesting this particular attack was, I'm curious what your hoodie scale ratings are for this particular attack. And, Taylor, I know you've thought a lot about this, so I'm going to start with you. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, this particular instance of it is not super wide-ranging, right? It's targeting a very specific group of folks that are, it looks like they're either renewing or reviewing passports uh, with the Pakistani government. So, you know, the, the scope of it's pretty limited, uh, although anything, anytime you can execute stuff silently in a browser that a user has no idea on and you're able to take keystroke data, credential data, and throw that back out to uh, a server that is uh, under adversary control, that, that's pretty bad. Let's call this... Uh, I'm going to go four hoodies. Or is it that, that out of ten? I don't know. What are the hoodie ratings out of?
0: It's out of ten. Okay. And you can... They don't need to be integers. You can go whatever direction you please. We oh. went to Milla Hoodies last week. Okay. So you oh, can man. have some fun.
1: Maybe four hoodies and one sleeve. Mm, yeah. Four.
0: Would you call that like a 4.2? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 4.4. Four. Let's Four be, let's hoodies, be.
1: one sleeve. <laughs> it's go
0: <laughs> a good band name. <laughs> Tarek, how about yourself?
2: You know... Exactly, kind of like what Taylor said. I'd say this is probably like a five hoodies, a five out of ten bad. It's not incredibly uh, bad, but, you know, anytime you see weaponization of, like, JavaScript and watering hole attacks, um, that's always really concerning, Um, especially on government-based websites. In this case, it was a Pakistani government one, so, you know, I think everybody in the room is not affected by that, but I'm sure that there's a lot of people that could be, especially if you... Um, This type of attack was, like, mimicked on, like, infrastructure that we use more commonly. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of scary. I know that, um, you know, it would be a lot higher if this affected other platforms. But this is very Windows-based and... I don't
0: like Windows, I don't use Windows. So. <laughs> Tell us how you really so feel, So, me
1: personally, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. The one other interesting thing about this was the IP address that was given out by the Trustwave folks as the, the hosting IP for the ScanBox server. Uh, it, we were able to pick up in our Iris platform, look at that with our past DNS partners and see that uh, it had been uh, hosting uh, an APT32 related domain uh, mm. just in the last three yep. or four weeks. So. Uh, There's a pretty close correlation now. That doesn't necessarily, like, causation correlation. Right. right? Like, these two things may be connected uh, just via that alone and through no other things whatsoever. Um, But it is certainly interesting that's the only IPv4 resolution that got picked up on that IP address was for a domain that was picked up and used by APT32 in the last year or so. That is
2: fascinating. It's a really good find. Yeah. Perfect. Well,
0: thank you for your hoodie ratings. Um, We're going to go ahead and switch gears to our next article, which is about gaming the system with the Bellinard Trojan. And this is related to the Counter Strike game, which has been around for the last few decades. Um, and so, does anybody in this room play that game, first oh, of all?
1: Used to. Yeah, back so totally. in the day, for
0: back sure. Back in the day.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. that, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely.
2: Back in the day, it was like EverQuest and Counter Strike, man. That was the bread and butter. Everquest. You were throwing sprays up on
1: the walls, you were defusing yeah. bombs. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Very, a lot important of, lot, very important work. Very important A lot of work got done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it sounds like there's been a Counter-Strike in a Counter-Strike. So Tarek, will you give me the lowdown on this day mm-hmm. and walk us through the attack and the setup?
2: Yeah, so what we have here is we have really old uh, game code, uh, about 19 years old. Um, and it looks like somebody um, has found a RCE. In this case, it's a remote code execution bug. Um, which allows, um, if you by chance have a malicious uh, Counter Strike 1.6 game server, um, any client that connects to your game server, um, there will be uh, that uh, vulnerability will be exploited. That remote code execution vulnerability will be exploited, and then in this case, a custom trojan, um, which is associated with the threat actor's name uh, Bellinard, uh, gets dropped on the system, and that's a pretty interesting uh, trojan. Um, so what we do know about it, um, is it's a, uh, pretty simple Trojan in the sense that it sets up a persistence as a service, like as a windows service. And to be clear, this affects only windows platforms too. <laughs> so we're seeing, we're kind of seeing a trend here with these. <laughs> uh, and, uh, it's kind of a complicated, um, attack in the sense that, um, there's multiple ways to get affected. So, number one, you can download the pirated uh, Counter-Strike 1.6 client, which is Trojanized and comes with um, one of the many variants of Bellinard Trojan. It's pre-infected. Mm-hmm.
0: Ooh, <laughs> yep. You don't have to pay extra.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, nice. it's, it's very convenient. Um, <laughs> or if you still play Counter-Strike 1.6 with a legitimate copy. Um, and so some of the servers that are populated by uh, Steam will actually be malicious ones that contain um, additional payloads uh, for Belenard inside of them. Um, so it goes through a multi-stage process where you have one of the game servers will go ahead and exploit uh, the client and drop one of the variants of Belenard on it. Um, and Belenard right now, um, Thread Intel data really suggests that Belenard is there for bot herding purposes. Um, so building a massive botnet. Uh, I have not seen any research yet to what would indicate what Bellinard's botnet's going to be used for? Whether that's going to be through DDoSing or Bitcoin mining or just selling it, uh, we don't know. But um, that seems to be the uh, the Bellinard situation, right?
0: Bellinard clearly had some foresight into the alliteration, so it might, it must be botnets. So that's, uh, that's the conclusion.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm you. <laughs> well, it's right now it's being used to advertise Counterstrike, uh, hacked, counter-strike servers, right? That's uh, <laughs> That's a service? (laughs) Yeah. What's really
2: interesting about it is that uh, the Bellinard Trojan uh, scrubs and cleans the game list that's on your clients and populates it with other infected servers. So if you, by chance, clean or scrub out uh, the Bellinard Trojan from your computer, uh, you have a chance of still being infected by or reinfected by visiting one of the servers on there. Mm. So it kind of... uh, It's got a really interesting persistence mechanism too, not just on the Trojan side, but like on the actual game client side too.
0: That makes sense. Perfect. So there's been actually quite a bit of data that's come out of this. I think you mentioned that you can always, at any point, see the number of folks... live on Steam. So you can
1: see the number of folks that are playing CS 1.6 on Steam at any point in time. It's somewhere in like the 10,000 range, which the supported, like the newer version of Counter-Strike that is, uh, I guess, an eSport? I don't know. Uh, Somewhere in the neighborhood (laughs) of like... 800,000 to a million at any given point in oh, time. So wow. we know this is a pretty small fraction of the user base of okay. the folks who really want that OG CS 1.6 flavor. The
0: OG. Flavor. I wonder if they're <laughs> also
1: running like Windows ME or <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. at
1: the same time, <laughs> uh, you know, or maybe XP would a little bit Ooh. later for sure. Yeah. Mm, brings back memories. Uh, <laughs> So you know, we know that that from the scope of it is a, l- a little bit smaller than if someone had managed to get that RCE running in the newer version of Counter Strike that is supported by Valve right. uh, continuously. Yeah,
0: yeah. What was it? Something like close to two thousand of the clients were yes. created by that trojan. So there's roughly
1: 5,000 servers looking to host Counter-Strike 1.6 games. Uh, the researchers here did the numbers and they'd said about roughly 2,000 of those are Belinard-infected uh, uh, servers. So it'll stand up those servers too, right? So it wants to make more of them uh, for f- and, and try to propagate to the top of the list for folks who tr- go to try and join new games. And so it makes it more likely that you end up with this thing on your system. And, and if you you know you're running Windows XP... And then you're in trouble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, those people probably use Netscape too. Probably. <laughs> so, Tark, how would somebody actually protect themselves against something like this old Bellinar Trojan situation?
2: Yeah, I recommend not playing old games.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> step one.
2: <laughs> step, step one, stop playing a 20-year-old game. Uh, oh, no, that hurts. Uh, so if you really truly, like, let's say you're, you're in this, uh, let's say you're in the demographic of, I like playing Counter-Strike 1.6, um, and I run a Windows computer um, and I don't want to run AV. Uh, it's, and there is that, I'm sure there's those people out there. I would recommend running Counter Strike 1.6 inside of a virtual machine. Like the game requirements for this is so old that you could run it smoothly inside of a, a VM, you know, if you're willing to accept that risk, right? I mean, the VM will still be compromised, but I mean, uh, you know, So be us.
0: it. <laughs> so be it. It's a part of the game,
2: right? <laughs> right. <laughs> risk accepted. I think for everybody else, generally speaking, uh, I don't think anybody is really nostalgic enough to want to play Counter-Strike 1.6. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think a lot of people are affected. But if you are a person that plays Counter-Strike 1.6 and you're running a Windows machine, um, I highly recommend uh, at least getting some basic AV in place. Uh, something that's maybe a little bit more sophisticated than... Just signature only. Um, there's a lot of really nice, and I'm not going to push a product, but there's a lot of really nice machine learning based um, antiviruses out there. Windows Defender is surprisingly really good. And I highly recommend if you're running this this kind of a setup to get that installed and configured. Um, I don't know if Belenard is detected by uh, Windows Defender. I can't say authoritatively, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Hmm. Uh, so something to look at.
0: So with all this in mind, Tarek, I'm going to start with you. How would you scale this in terms of hoodies, this Spellinar Trojan?
2: You know what? I, because the affected people, uh, in, in this case, like the scope is relatively small and very, very specific. I'd give this a 3 out of 10 hoodies. This one really affects like a certain user base on a certain setup. So
1: I'm going to give this one a pretty low score.
0: Okay. Sounds fair. What about you, Taylor?
1: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Although, you know, this is the first time we're seeing Bellinar in the wild in it's modular. It could be, you know, maybe these guys are pretty clever, right? They could yeah. be the first of many. Depends <laughs> on how it's weaponized. Yeah.
2: Um, it'll be interesting to see that if we can find that.
1: Yeah, uh, but right. I mean, like the number of folks who are running 1.6 uh, on a Windows machine, we know that to be a pretty low number in, in, in the wild. Um, let's call this, I'm going to go two hoodies, Two sleeves, and then just one side of the zipper. Just one (laughs) side of the zipper.
0: (laughs) All right, we'll see what we can do. I'll plug that into my hoodie calculator and see what I come up with (laughs) here. And that leads us into our final article, which is what the pack, man? And um, it's really been fun to say that so many times out loud. And then hear myself saying that recorded meta. Um, So basically, there was an Arch Linux security advisory. And so it sounds like there was some sort of arbitrary code execution. So Taylor, I know you have a lot of experience with Linux, <laughs> and so can you tell us a little bit about um, this article and this basically this uh, this vulnerability that exists?
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. I can do my best. Now I'm not an Arch Linux uh, expert, and it is a, a little different from uh, what what my experience is working with, which is a more container containerized Linux stuff. Um, but it is interesting, uh, you know. That's. So basically, they have a package management software that is called Pac-Man, short for package manager, that's uh, very creative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you invoke Pac-Man with a URL string, um, it will keep the directory structure of the URL string intact when it goes to pull down the package and so it can install something into a directory that it has no business installing stuff into Mm -hmm. and installs it with root privileges so that if it gets invoked later, all of a sudden that whatever bit of data you've managed to fit into that uh, oddball directory now has a lot of privileges that it really ought not to have.
0: The root of all evil. (laughs)
1: Uh, And so this got patched like really quickly, which if the Arch, that's like pretty much what like they're if you're running Arch, you are patching like thousands, like lots and lots of stuff. (laughs) Like uh, just Arch is a rolling release. um, So it is continually pulling in new stuff. um, So there isn't like a set... Release schedule necessarily, where um, you know they have everything. You know they put all the feature list in and get it all good to go. And then, hey, this is what we're going to support for the next X number of years. Like you might see with a Red Hat or a Red Hat flavor like a CentOS or something like that. Mm, this is much okay. more like bleeding edge in a lot of cases. And the practitioners who are using Arch Linux are generally pretty sophisticated I would say that it's not necessarily one where you're going to jump in and say my first Linux distro is arch because it is there's not a whole lot of hand holding at least the last time I touched it I don't know maybe they've you know, gone for the masses and, and switched it up, but at least the reputation for it at the time when I was interacting with this stuff was that it was you had to build a lot of stuff your own on your own. Like if you if you wanted any type of uh, GUI at all or X Window system, you had to bring that in and do it yourself. And so it was much more for someone who really wanted to dig deep into the internals of their Linux. And so. Uh, the idea that that person would then also just run an arbitrary pac-man commands to pull stuff you know that they, like they, they lock down their their packages the way that they distro packages in arch uh, a lot more than than some of the other releases or flavors of Linux do so um You know, it's just funny because if you look back in time, I looked at this. It looked like they had no package signing um, up until 2012. (laughs) So uh, now obviously that's a long, long time ago. And this is uh, certainly scary in the context of what it can do right now. But like things are in general a lot better. They picked this up. It seems like they picked it up pretty quickly and and patched it pretty quickly. Um, As far as like how this could get exploited, you'd have to have access to the Arch machine itself, right, to run the oddball. Uh, There's a couple of ways to okay. skin this cat. Let's so, <laughs> um,
2: if you're, let's say, you're an attacker, yeah. um, and you're um, inside of the same network um, as a somebody running Arch Linux, yeah, um, and in addition to being on the same network and man in the middleing their yeah. connection, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. they need to be pulling from a um, URL that you can control um, that actually has that payload, <laughs> uh, that uh, Linux payload um, on there. And so a couple conditions need to exist. You need to control the. You need to have an attacker-controlled server with the payload, and you need to be able to uh, intercept the communication from the Arch Linux user uh, and that server. So a little bit of social engineering involved too, and the mm-hmm. attacker needs to be on the same uh, network segment. So um, I know I'm jumping the gun on the hoodie scale, but this one's <laughs> going to be a low hoodie scale. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that was a lot of fine print but, there for this to work. <laughs> but
2: it's really, it, it's part of a kind of a larger concern around um, input sanitization, which has mm, just like yep. been a problem for, you know, ever since the internet it was around, right? And, uh, you know, thankfully this one it was responsibly disclosed. Um, that's one thing that uh, that's really beneficial here. So we're not, we don't see it being exploited in the wild right now. I think in about 90 days, uh, maybe when POC code comes to public, we'll maybe see some more stuff. But, um, you know, for the time being, we're okay.
1: Yeah, I think, again, the folks who are running this uh, are, are generally more... Now, I don't want to offend any of our Arch Linux users. You can tweet at us with the Ides of Arch. The Ides <laughs> <eyes> of <laughs> <Yelling> Arch. <laughs> You're wrong. Yeah,
0: that <laughs> might have to be the episode title. <laughs> or, um, especially because we're around St. Patrick's Day. and well, all just comes together. Um, that's beautiful. It's beautiful work.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Tark, do you have any more thoughts on this this vulnerability or anything else you'd like to add?
2: No, I think I've really covered it with the input sanitization. I mean, that is such a bread-and-butter thing that developers need to be kind of hyper-aware of is controlling all of your inputs, and, uh, you know, you see with SQL injection, cross-site scripting, and even on uh, part of the HTTP headers uh, that we see here. So um, I'm glad it was responsibly disclosed, and... uh, not uh, weaponized and then released to the public, uh, which makes everybody kind of do a nice scramble fire drill. So oh, yes. I like it when things are controlled and calmly released. So.
0: <laughs> calmly released? Calmly released. Oxymoronic or something. Yeah, there's a, there's
2: a patch available, so, uh, you know, just be sure to update appropriately. Uh, I know that's kind of ironic, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, overall it's good. It's not that bad.
0: What would that? How does that influence then your hoodie rating? What would you say that would be?
2: I, you know, I'd give this one a three out of ten. Okay. Um, because of all, like, you know, there's a lot of uh, scenarios or, or conditions that need to exist for this to be kind of exploited and for you to be um, affected by it, and like in the real world. Um, and the fact that it's been publicly uh, disclosed or responsibly disclosed, so we don't have POC code in the wild. So there's a lot of things that need to happen. And, uh, for you to be actually be affected, so this is part of like normal hygiene, normal patch response. Um, I would follow the CVSS score for the CVE and patch appropriately.
0: Seems like helpful tips, tips and tricks from Tarek. <laughs> Our new segment. Yeah, I
1: have, whole,
2: <laughs>
0: I have a whole, section just for that. And Taylor, what about yourself?
1: Uh, yeah. Again, this is uh, you know the folks that the, the steps you need to take to to get this to do something. Malicious are pretty esoteric in nature. Uh, and combine that with the fact that you don't necessarily see Arch running in prod in a lot of places. It's not. I'm sure you could see it somewhere. I'm sure there are folks who love it. And again, hashtag Ides of Arch. <laughs> hashtag <laughs> Ides of Arch. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'd say pretty low. Uh, you know, you, you maybe let's call this... Um, Three hoodies, one sleeve. We'll go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love how Tara gives like straight hoodie yeah. ratings. No, that. I want to make like, it hmm. tougher for you to
1: record this stuff later. <laughs> I know. I know have to make
0: sure that like my the, the decimal points I'm using are yeah. consistent. So I'm not like giving some sleeves. Like these are well-made hoodies, people. Yeah. Like we're looking at the same sleeve length. We're at least at that That's quality. True. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. It could be like
1: two hoodies and two like small size sleeves. Right, you know? right. Do they have to come from the
0: same hoodie? These are important questions. Um, perfect. Well, thank you both so much for being on the, podca- the podcast today. That was fantastic. Look forward to seeing you both or hearing you both on here very soon, I'm sure.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.